I need thee every hour. What an important realization that we each need to come to, our total dependency on our Lord. You know when we really get ourselves in trouble is when we think we can handle it all. When we think we don't need him, I've been doing this long enough, I can uh, figure life out, I can even live the Christian life without fully depending on him. We can get ourselves in trouble. Um, which is the case with the church of Corinth. And so if you have your Bibles, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3 this morning. And uh, we're just going to look at a couple verses. And um, <clears throat> in uh, verse number 1, it says, uh, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither are ye now able. Uh, now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? And let's have a word of prayer. Our Father, I ask that you help us now as we look to your word. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would do a work in our hearts. Help us to see uh, a reflection of ourselves, areas where we might need to consider some adjustments, areas where we might need reinforcement that we are on the right track. And, and Lord, uh, whatever it is that would bring the most glory to you, I pray that you would accomplish that in our midst today. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're talking about this church at Corinth here, and just uh, by way of a brief introduction uh, and review, we've kind of looked at the first uh, two chapters, and several of the, uh, um, those passages, we did kind of larger chunks as it was kind of one theme. Paul kind of uh, goes a little bit slow with some things. You'll see a lot of repetition in the book of 1 Corinthians, and I think part of it is for this very reason, he's trying to speak to them as unto babes, uh, that is, uh, babies. And uh, this church was a very gifted church. If we go back to uh, chapter 1, it talks about that no other church, they, they came behind none when it comes to giftedness. Uh, they were, uh, you could say this way, the most gifted church in the first century. I think that would be a safe ass assessment to make the way that Paul describes them. They came behind none when it came to this thing of giftedness. They were very gifted. They were a very resourced church. They were in a, um, an area that there was a lot of trade and a lot of commerce. Uh, the, uh, the American dream, <laughs> the Corinthian dream was alive and well at this place of Corinth. You could pull yourself up from your bootstraps, become a, uh, uh, a former slave who bought their freedom, and you can start over there and, and, and make something out of yourself. This was a wonderful place when it came to those things. Of course, it was a very wicked society as well. But as we look at this church, a couple of things to consider. Giftedness is not godliness. Though they were very gifted, they were not godly in their behavior and in their, the, way, the way they carried on with each other. Just because you have stuff doesn't make you godly. They're gifted. They're very resourced. And, you know, sometimes we assumed, be, assume because somebody, has, uh, somebody is spiritual because they're gifted. Wow, that person is such an eloquent speaker. The Spirit of God is just strong with them. Uh, is just is just on them, and uh, you know maybe they they're 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 good communicators. Maybe they're just uh, have a way with people. They're very charismatic with their personality, and and sometimes we can look at those things and 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 we equate that to spirituality. 
I've known people in, uh, in my life that uh, I look at them, just good people, and, and I, th- I think to myself, boy, if they ever got saved, they'd make a great Christian. You ever, you ever known someone like that? If they would just get saved, they'd make a great Christian. You know what you're doing? You're assessing their behavior. And, and all of a sudden, if just one little thing changed, you, would, you, you might even fall for the trap of looking at them and say, there's a spiritual person. You see? And, uh, and I think this is a little bit what this church was doing. I, I should have more of a say because of my position in society, uh, but that does not necessarily make you spiritual. I should, I should uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm of this group, and they're broken down these little, little uh, uh, factions, if you would, uh, identifying with, you know, a Paul over here, and a Paul's over here. They're big on name dropping, and if I can just associate with this person, and they, they pick that up from the society that's around them. Uh, you might call it this way, uh, they, they, they would identify with maybe celebrities, if we're to put it in our context today. And what were they doing? They were name-dropping celebrity preachers. We've already seen Apollos is well-known. He was preaching, you know, uh, in the book of Acts, we learn about him preaching in different places. He spent some time here in Corinth and later went over to Ephesus. And, and Paul, of course, is very well-known. He started most of these churches. Uh, name dropping. And then, and then, of course, who's more famous than Jesus? You had the group over there that's uh, the super spiritual. Well, we're not even of any of them. We're of Jesus, you know. And they're just name dropping and all these divisions. I'm not going to rehash all that. We're going to get into that a little bit more next week as he kind of lays out, well, who is Paul and who is Apollos? And he answers this question that I think it's a very sobering question we all need to look at. But two times in this just few short verses, Paul asked this question of the church. Aren't you carnal? Do you not see this as carnal behavior? You're very carnal. And this is a word that I kind of alluded to last week that we're going to introduce this week. But this question that Paul asks, by the way, is very wise in asking this question. Questions activate a prompt the conscience. Right? You ever uh, catch your kids doing something? By the way, the kids, your kids will be quick to apologize. In other words, say they're sorry. But when you ask them, what did you do? That's a whole nother level, because now you need to, you're, you're bringing to the point of admission, right? Well, isn't that what we need to get with God? Confession, an honest admission, right? That's what confession is. The word confess means to agree or to say the same thing. And, uh, and, and so it's not enough to just say, oh, I, I, I did, uh, you know, I, I got caught or, or what have you, and say, oh, I'm sorry for what I've done. But to actually come out and say, here is what I've done is a whole nother level. I was dishonest. I disobeyed, I stole, I hurt you, I, whatever it is. And so Paul is addressing them, and, he's, and it's a very prompting question. Hey, church, you need to answer this question. He's, he's talking to this Corinthian church. He says, are you guys not carnal? See, now the church has to assess themselves. Is that what we are? Is that what this behavior is exemplary of, the a carnality that is in us? And by the way, as we dissect this a little bit, I think you might be surprised what, uh, what Paul sees here and, and brings to our attention as what carnality really is. But Paul asked some questions and, uh, that these people, they really don't want to answer. This morning I want to talk to you on the topic of bottle feeding and baby talk. Bottle feeding and baby talk. He said he couldn't talk to them as mature people. He had to talk to them like babies. He couldn't feed them with meat. He had to feed them with milk. So we're going to look at bottle feeding and baby talk. You know, when our kids are little, we use kind of simple sentences with them, right? Sometimes I have a hard time because, you know, I'm, I'm used to trying to communicate the Word of God, and I'm trying to uh, uh, bring some of these sometimes 
some, some fairly complicated concepts, and sometimes a kid might ask some questions, and I'm trying to, trying to come up with the right wording that they would understand. You know, what else can I say besides propitiation? And uh, <laughs> trying to get them to see things. And, uh, uh, you know, and what am I trying to do? I'm trying to come down to their level, right? And so when your children are starting to learn, you might help them sound out some words, you know, and kind of single sentences, or single, single word sentences, you know, cup, <laughs> you know, door, uh, dog, uh, things like that. And, you know, but, uh, but you know, do I, do I talk that way to my wife, right? You know, uh, coffee, <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes maybe, but... <laughs> But, you know, if you were to talk that way to an adult, right, very, almost, it would come across very condescending, you know. Uh, do you understand what I'm saying? Chris, do you, do you, do you get this? Are you, are you understanding? Right? And uh, uh, we'd say something's wrong if you have to talk to an adult that way, right? Something doesn't seem right. Well, rightly so. And if, if, if you're not mature enough to, 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 to carry on a conversation, the conversation has to keep getting dumbed down and dumbed down and dumbed down until, until we're on the same level to where we can communicate. And so, so we say simple sentences. We, we enunciate. We might talk slower. And so what Paul's saying here is that there, there was some language that he can talk to them as. In other words, he's saying to them, you know, you're babies, but you're too old to be babies. You shouldn't be a baby still. What are you doing, a grown man wearing diapers? <laughs> you're, you're not a baby anymore. And, uh, and, and yet, I have to talk to you like you're a baby. It's not cute anymore. Right? Uh, sometimes, um, sometimes your kids might revert to um, like baby talk, right? When they're, when they're kind of growing up and they pretend they're a baby. And, uh, and you know, there comes an age where it's like, that's not cute anymore. Stop it. You know, and you'll say this, act your age. Yeah, that's kind of what, the, what Paul's been telling this church up to this point, you know. Uh, quit acting like who you were, act like who you are. Not who you were before, you, before Christ, but who you are in Christ. And that's been the big challenge as he's been talking with them. And, and he, so he's saying, you know, quit acting like babies. You're, you're, you're too old to be a baby. Uh, you're still eating baby food when by now you should be eating meat. Go, uh, go with me back to uh, a couple of verses, back to the end of chapter 2. Paul lays out three types of people here. Look at verse number 14. He brings up this person of a natural man, but the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. The natural man. Um, the word there for natural in the Greek is uh, psychikos, where we get the word, uh, uh, the root word for psych, uh, the psyche, the psychikos, psychology. Uh, and, and, and really what that's based on is, is the idea is taking all of your life experiences in the flesh, in the carnal, in the, in the natural realm, we take all of our life experiences and we come to conclusions. Right? That's what happens many times when you see a psychologist. Right? Uh, you, they're, they're helping you analyze your experiences and try to come up with conclusions. That's the natural approach. That's the natural way of looking at this life. And so there's the natural man, and, and, and what is he? He's the unsaved man. All he has is the psych. All he has is the, the, the soul, if you would, the mind, emotion, and will. That's all he has, but he doesn't have the spirit. He doesn't have the spiritual. So the next verse, he says this. 
um, verse number 15, but he that is spiritual. So we have a natural man, he's unsaved. We have the spiritual man. And the word for spiritual is, uh, is uh, uh, pneumaticos, which is uh, um, where we get the word like pneumatics. How uh, I many knows what pneumatics is? There's a pneumatic tool, right? Air blows through it. And that's actually the word that's ascribed to, ascribed to the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, in fact, when, uh, when the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God, it's theo. Nuskos, that's where the, the, the pneumatic, the, it's the air being breathed into something. That's the Holy Spirit of God. He's, the, he's the, the, the life-giving breath of God. That's what the Holy Spirit is. And he says, so the spiritual man, the one that has the, 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 the breath of spirit, the Holy Spirit within him, what does he do? He judges all things. That's what we looked at last week or, or two weeks ago. I'm not going to uh, rehash that. But, but what is he? He is, he is the one that is spirit-filled. He is the one that is making spiritual decisions, going in the direction of who he is. He is saved. He's got the Spirit of God, and he's making decisions in light of that. We have a third person introduced to in here in chapter 3, and that is the carnal man. He said, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as to carnal. And, uh, and uh, you know, what, what, what the spiritual man is, and what he's trying to challenge this church with is, you're beyond the years of baby talk. You're beyond the years of baby food. So he comes to this point, what is carnality? Carnality is this, a spiritual man who's acting like the natural man. You're saved. In fact, if there's any question about it, notice what it says. And I, what's the third word? Every Bible's open. And I, brethren. What is that? What's the indication there? These are saved people. All right. Now that's going to be important because we're going to cover some things in this book where you and I would look at this and say, there's no way these people are saved. And yet he approaches them as believers. He approaches them as fellow Christians, brothers in Christ. And so he says, I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, what you should be at, but rather unto carnal. That baby Christian who's yes, has the Spirit of God, but is now, has, not, has not come to the point where they're, they're putting aside that old man. They're, they're putting aside that natural, those natural inclinations. So what is carnality? It's a spiritual man acting like a natural man. Now there's a natural man, there's a spiritual man, and there's a carnal man. And I just want to say this, you and I are one of them. You and I are one of them. We fall into one of those three categories. And so uh, identifying your mind, asking, the, asking God, Lord, which one am I leaning towards? And which one uh, is, is uh, uh, best descriptive of me? There are three descriptions of the carnal man uh, here in, in this text. First of all, they're saved, as I mentioned a minute ago. Uh, brethren, and I, brethren, cannot speak unto you as unto spiritual. He addresses them as brethren. Uh, they're saved. They may not be acting like they're saved, but they're saved. And, uh, and like I said, there are going to be some things. Uh, in fact, he even points out uh, later on in a couple chapters where he says, even the world doesn't do some of these things. Even lost people don't behave as far as you guys are taking some of your liberties and some of your sin. And, uh, and, and many people would look at that and say, how could a person be saved and behave like that? By the way, there's a, there's a kind of a movement going on today we need to be very careful of. And, uh, and it's this idea that, that the proof of your salvation is, uh, or, or your salvation has to do with your behavior. It's called lordship salvation. I'm saved because I've made Jesus Lord, and here's, here's how I know I've made him Lord. I'm doing this, this, and this, and this. 
Now, it's hard to identify sometimes because, because sometimes we look at, well, what's the difference? Here's someone who's genuinely trusted in Jesus Christ, and they're resting in him alone for their own righteousness, not anything that they do. They're trusting him. And, and the fruit of that, what's being produced by that, is Christian living. But then there are those that they just look at the Christian living, and they're saying, here's what I am as a natural man, and I'm trying to live out the Christian life. And I want to say there are a lot of, of natural people that are getting really good at behaving like a spiritual man. In fact, that's the root of cults. That's the root of works-based religion. And so we need to be careful and step back and say, have I, have I touched first base? Have I done the first thing? Am I, have, I, have I done the very first thing that could make me a spiritual person? Has the, has the, the, the pneumatics been applied? Has, the, has the, the breath of God, the Holy Spirit of God, has it been put into me uh, energizing me, making me alive. Colossians 2, ye who are dead in sins, trespasses and sins, hath he quickened, hath he made alive together with him. God makes you alive. You and I, in the natural state, have a dead spirit. And the Holy Spirit of God quickens us, makes us alive. Are we okay so far? So we got to ask ourselves, am I just acting the Christian life, or am I genuinely born again by the Spirit of God? By the way, those are all biblical terms. My son was uh, uh, burdened about a friend of his, and he was trying to share the gospel with him. And he would get so upset every time my son would bring up the term saved. He goes to a church, by the way. And he'd say, uh, you know, he'd get really upset when my son would say, well, are you saved? Or he said, you know, it's a Bible word. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, we'll see it in a few weeks, um, uh, it's, uh, it talks about this is the gospel, and it says, by which are ye saved? Did you know you're only saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ? And by the way, not everything that calls itself gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's make sure it lines up with Scripture. Are you saved for a Bible reason? Can you show me from the Bible that you know that you're saved? Right? By the way, that's where we have our proof. Our proof is not in a feeling. Our proof is not an emotion. Paul said to Timothy that from a child that was known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. Jesus spoke to them. He said, search the Scriptures, for there they would speak of me. How do we know Jesus Christ? You will not know Jesus Christ, at least the Jesus of the Bible, apart from the Word of God. Are we all right? In case you're noticing some, uh, uh, a connection with these, I am non-charismatic, okay? <laughs> I believe in the Word of God. That is my absolute, not just final authority, soul authority. That is my authority, right? And so I want to go to that. I want everything to flow from that. So, so here we have this, uh, these people, this group of people, they're saved. Second observation I have uh, that I see is they do not spiritually perceive, right? I could not speak unto you as spiritual. And so it's dealing with speaking. Um, the same argument that the writer of Hebrews is making in Hebrews 5, saying, by now you should be teaching someone else, but you have need someone teach you the first principles of the oracles of God. For you have need of milk, you know, strong meat belongs to them who, who are of full age, who by reason of use have had their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. That's who the meat belongs to. They've grown spiritually, they're making spiritual decisions, and that's when they can start biting into some steak. Amen? As it gets a little later on, this, this talk of meat's going to be more and more appealing, okay? And uh, <laughs> some of you are going to wake up, what's he talking about? Um, but what he, what's he saying there? He's saying, you guys aren't ready for this. You guys aren't ready for the meat. By the way, you don't give a newborn baby meat. Um, uh, Ross, I know you're a pediatrician, but let me just give you some, some advice. Okay, little Max, don't give him steak. Okay, he's not ready. I know you want to. 
I want, you want to be a strong man, right? Don't give him steak. It's tempting. Don't give him steak. He may give you those eyes. Oh, it smells so good. I just want some. No, no, just give him some milk. He'll be all right. <laughs> like I'm giving you advice. Um, but that's what he's saying. He, 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 they, they, they were not spiritually perceiving. They couldn't get to those other things. Okay. In fact, in case you're wondering, let me just turn there real quick. You're, hold your place there in 1 Corinthians 3. I came across this one day. I was kind of asking this question. What is the milk? How do we know if, it, if it's milk of the word and not meat? Look at Hebrews 5. I honestly believe the writer of Hebrews, which I believe is Paul, uh, gives us what it is. And in Hebrews 5, um, look at verse number 12. He's appealing to the nation of Israel. That's why it's called Hebrews. And, uh, and trying to draw their attention towards Christ. Christ is better than all these things. And he's challenging them with this, this, this thought. He says in verse 12, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers... In other words, by now you should be spiritual discerning enough, you should have spiritual understanding enough that you should be teaching this stuff. You have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. For everyone that useth milk, get this now, is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. How do I, uh, so, so, so what's it saying? If you're still needing milk, it's because you are unskillful in the word. By the way, milk is a necessary step. This is important to understand. Milk is a necessary step. See, I'm not talking down on, uh, on, on, on Max, Ross's, uh, Ross and Susie's new baby. You know, look at this kid. Pathetic. He's only drinking milk. No, that's the stage in life he's in, right? And just as you, if you're a brand new Christian, there's a, there, there are steps, there's a stage in life where you need the milk, you need that foundation, right? And, uh, and so, so you go to some prophecy class, you're going to choke on the meat. Like, oh, what are we, you're getting too deep here and uh, uh, getting into something. So, so we try to bring it along. By the way, as a pastor, I, 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 I want to look at my, past, my messages and say, am I, am I giving a little bit to each person? Am I, am I handing out some bottles? Am I, am I giving some, some meat, some tender meat, some stronger meat? You know, am I kind of giving enough for everyone to breach what they need, right? But it's amazing, it all comes from the same source. We get into the Word of God, and God, with the Spirit of God, gives you where you're at. I've had uh, young people come to me, I'm trying to read my proverb a day, and it comes from these passages, and I just, I don't know what, it, I don't know what this is talking about. And, uh, and I'll tell them, just skip it. What? Yeah, just go on to the next passage. Really? Yeah. That's okay. Maybe you're not ready for that one right there. Or maybe you got to dig in a little bit, you know, and look at, look at some things. And, and uh, what I'm saying, it's okay. You don't have to be a Bible expert your first time through the Bible. But the, fact, but the reality is I'm getting milk, and I'm growing. I'm getting some nutrients that I need. For the aged scholar, maybe he's just diving in, and it takes him two weeks to study one verse. And he's just getting everything out of that. He's, he's going into the Greek, and he's going into the historical, and he's going into all these different aspects of, of this simple passage. Um, this morning in Sunday school, we had three verses, a three-verse chapter at the end of the book of Esther. And somehow I was able to talk for 45 minutes. <laughs> three verses. Should have been a five-minute message, right? Um, everyone's like, yeah, come on. Teased us. So here we are in, uh, in Hebrews, verse 13. 
He's unskillful in the word of righteousness. So by the way, where does our skill come from or where, where is the source? In the word. And then verse number 14, but strong meat, same source, strong meat belongs to them who are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. All right, so what am I using? So I'm gaining immaturity, and, and, and I get me, and, and it's connecting it to something that I do, who by reason of use, here's the question, what am I using? The Word. The milk, as I get that Word of righteousness, uh, that milk that I'm taking in, what do I start doing? I start using it. You see, I don't want to be an armchair theologian. I want to start doing something about what I know. Now, for a brand new Christian, it's some of the simple things, right? Go to church. Read your Bible, pray, tithe, right? We just go through some of the basics, right? For the aged Christian, we start getting into some more, some, some deeper things. Uh, how are you getting along with others? Are you loving your enemy? Are you serving your coworkers? What? I'm supposed to serve my coworkers? Yeah, you should serve your coworkers, right? And we start getting into some, some maybe some deeper things uh, as far as the use. But even that, you know, where does the maturity come from? I use it and I grow in that area. In fact, Romans 5 talks about this. It talks about uh, how tribulation comes and it works patience. And then it says this, patience, experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And so, so what's it saying? It's saying that, that uh, I, I know some things from the Word of God and then it needs to be met with some sort of a trial or some sort of a, a conflict which allows me to use what I know. And as I go through that with patience, what comes out on the other end? I now have experience. The Word of God has now become, I become useful in it, skillful in it. I have experience. I, I'm becoming good with my sword, right? The Word of God is a sword. It's, it's the Christian's weapon. You know, just like a, a good soldier needs to be very proficient with his weapon, a good soldier of Jesus Christ needs to be proficient with his sword. We talked about that a little last week. And so what I, I've learned how to use it. Now, chapter divisions, understand, are not inspired scripture, Okay, we put chapters, we put verses in there to kind of help us organize so we can all be on the same page. So when I say turn to chapter 5, we all turn to chapter 5. Let's continue to chapter 6. Therefore, talking about milk, talking about meat, therefore, we're in Hebrews 6, leaving the first principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection. The word there in, in the King James English for perfection is the idea of completion or maturity. And so what he's saying is this. He talks about this milk. These people are still in the milk, and they need that someone teaches them again, those first principles. And he says, let's go into maturity. So he says, let's leave behind the doctrine, or the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Now, now before, before, you know, what he's not saying, we don't need to talk about Jesus anymore. What he's saying is, we don't need to keep rehashing who Jesus is to somebody who knows who Jesus is. And I'll, I'll show you something with that in just a minute. And then he says, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation. He's going to give us, what's the foundation? Of repentance from dead works. That's how you get saved, by the way. You repent of your dead works. Your works do not save you. They're dead works. You repent of that. All the works that you've done, all my works of righteousness, that's not going to save me. All my religion, that doesn't save me. All the things that I did, you know, my, my, my baptism, my church attendance, my whatever, those things don't save me. So I, I repent of the things I was holding on to for my unrighteousness. That's how I get saved. Repentance of dead works and faith towards God. That's how you get saved. How do I get saved? Repent, repentance towards God, faith in Jesus Christ. Repent of dead works and putting my faith in, in, in God and what he had done. 
uh, in sending his son for me. Secondly, second uh, uh, foundation, what do you do right after you get saved? Doctrine of baptism, right? What, what are we talking about here? He's outlining, I believe, what the milk is. So we have repentance of dead works, faith towards God, doctrine of baptism, laying on of hands. That's what they did there during the apostolic age, and it was, it was, it was somewhat of a confirmation of the person's salvation. And then it goes on, and of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. These are some of those basic things. I'm saved, I'm baptized, right? I'm going to stand before Christ one day and give an account for what I've done for him. For the lost, they're going to stand before God and give an account for their sin, right? By the way, our sins were accounted for on the cross of Calvary if you're saved today. Amen? We don't give account for that. We give account for the things we do for Christ. And, uh, and then he goes on and he says, um, he says, and this we will do if God permits. So, so what are we going to do? We'll touch on those things in church. We'll touch on those things. But that's, I, I believe that he's telling us this is the milk. This is what we're rehashing. And, uh, and, and sadly, many churches, that's all they talk about. Just those things, those four or five things. And, uh, and they're good. It's Bible, right? But at some point, it's time to start growing. And we'll go back to that. We'll touch on it. We get visitors all the time. And I need to make sure, you know, have you been saved? Do you know who Jesus is? Uh, uh, have you repented of your dead works? Have you put your faith in God? Have you been baptized? We'll talk about those things, if God permits. But it's time to go on to perfection. What does that mean? Maturity. It's time for us as a church to grow, right? And so we're going to dive into some things. And so let's go back to chapter 3. As he's talking about the milk and the meat, so they don't spiritually perceive. So we see about these people, they're saved, they don't spiritually perceive, and then they're spiritually unproductive. Notice what it says there in verse 3. For you, you are yet carnal. A carnal person is a saved person, living like a natural person, a, a lost person. Uh, you're carnal, whereas there's among you envying and strife and divisions. Are you not carnal and walk as men? What does that mean? They're spiritually unproductive. They're walking as men. They're not achieving anything of any eternal value. And so, so in verse number two, here's what Paul's telling him. I've tried to help you. In verse two, he says, I, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. Why did he do that? He didn't want them to choke. I know that this is all you can handle. And so up to this point, I've only fed you milk. And by the way, that's a good thing. And the context is even good. Up to this point, I've given you milk. Why? Because that's what you needed. If I gave you more than that, you would have choked. That would not be for your benefit. That would be for your detriment. Are we okay with that? Does, that? does that make sense so far? So he says, he says uh, um, I've tried to help you, in other words. Not with milk. As it, you know, I think about uh, First Peter. It says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. Hey, we need the milk. It's necessary. The problem is this. They should not still be on the milk. The latter part of verse 2. For hitherto you're not able to bear it, and neither are ye able, now able. They, they, they should have been able to handle it, but they couldn't. And uh, so he couldn't previously give it to them, and he still can't give it to them. And so here's the template, and I, I believe God is laying for us. Paul was striving to give people a nutri nutritious meal. He says, I have fed you. He said to the, the, the Ephesian elders in Ephesus in Acts 20, he says, I have fed you. And the word, the word there, feed, is, uh, is the verb form of the word pastor or shepherding. And, uh, and, and it literally means, that the, the word there literally means to give someone to drink. To give someone uh, a drink. And so, so what was he talking about? He's talking about bottle feeding. 
He's saying, he's saying here's, here's some milk, here's some, some nutritious liquid, if you would, for you to take in to grow. Uh, he's been bottle feeding this church. What has he been bottle feeding them with? With the gospel. With some of those things that we looked at, what was he doing? He's rehashing these basic things. Hey, let's make sure you're saved. Let's make sure you understand these things. Have you been scripturally baptized? Have you, uh, do you, you understand there is judgment. That's going to be our motivation that we want to please God with our lives. We want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. When we get to the end, these are some motivation, motivating aspects. But we can't just keep coming back around and rehashing the same thing over again. At some point, do you get it? Yes, yes. Are you, able to, are you ready to move on? Yeah, yeah, I get it. Okay, now it's time to start using what we have. What does the gospel mean for you when it comes to action? Well, well it's going to impact the way I live. It's going to be, impact the things I say and the people I encounter. I should share it with others. You know, some of, the, some of these basic things. So, uh, so Paul uh, wants to feed them more, but they can handle it. But he was striving to give them a nutritious meal, the meal from the Word of God. That's what they needed. Secondly, Paul gave them a digestible diet. It was nutritious but it was digestible, meaning it was at their level. Not necessarily what he wanted to give them, but it was what they needed. He understood uh, who he was ministering to, and, uh, and he met them at their level. As I was talking about trying to come down to a child's level, maybe explain something. Sometimes as a Sunday, you know, a Sunday school teacher might, might, might stand before the children, and you're not going into all the, all the deep theological things. And I, have, I have a friend, one time he was uh, uh, in Bible college, and he got to uh, he was invited to be a guest preacher at a church, and, and the pastor pulled him aside. He said, look, I know you're, I know you're in, uh, going through um, Bible college, and you've got all these doctrinal uh, terms and things, you know, all the ologies and everything. He said, he said uh, uh, let's just kind of steer away from doctrine this morning, okay? And <laughs> it, it, it sounded so funny to me, but, you know, what he meant was don't jump, dump into a bunch of deep stuff, but it's hilarious. He's like, he told me not to preach doctrine, you know, but you should always preach doctrine. But that, what he was saying is, is, uh, is don't try to choke them. Don't try to impress them with all your knowledge and all the things that you know. Uh, uh, bring them something simple is what he was saying. But Paul here, he understood to who he was ministering. He wanted to meet them there. And then the third thing I see in this sort of a template, Paul gives them an insufficient meal. It was, it was uh, what they needed. It was nutritious. It was digestible. But it really was, at the end of the day, insufficient. You see, that little baby can only go so far if you only ever give him milk. There comes a point where it's time to start in- introducing some greens, some, some mashed up food, right? Some le- le- letting their digestive system begin to develop. It's insufficient if that's all it is. So Paul gave them what they can handle. It was good for them, but it was not enough. They needed more than this. So in verse number one, we see these, they're carnal people. They're saved, they're, but they're spiritually unproductive. They're spiritually uh, uh, imperceptive. They, they, they don't understand. Second, uh, verse number two, what did Paul give them? He gave them what they needed, what they could handle, but they needed more. Verse number three, we're going to see the signs of their carnality. Notice what it says, for you are yet carnal. Four. Because this is, this is why I know you are carnal. Whereas there is among you envying, strife, and divisions. Are you not carnal and walk as men? You know, many times we look at things, and uh, he, he mentions a couple of things. First of all, he mentions envying. Envying is internal. I'm going to show you that in just a minute. Then we have strife. Strife is external. And then we have divisions. Divisions are a product of the unresolved strife. So we have strife, 
which leads to, um, uh, I'm sorry, we have envyings, which leads to strife, which leads to divisions. What we have here is we have the seed, we have the sprout, and then we have the fruit. This is the, progress, the progression. What's interesting is when Paul defines carnality, he doesn't define it the way we do. You see, we, we say things like this. You guys are carnal because of your entertainment choices. You're carnal because, of, uh, 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 because you, you wore this or that. You're carnal because these are your friends. You're carnal because, and we, we like to point to all these things, but, but many times those are just products of what's really going on with, the, with the carnality. Paul uh, organizes their carnality into these three categories. Makes it quite simple, actually. Those are all reflections of carnality, but are those really what's going on? So when Paul introduces carnality, he introduces the kind of carnality you and I struggle with. That's where it kind of hits it close to home. Because I can preach all day long about the things I don't struggle with. Right? Uh, I, can, I can wax eloquent on why you should stay away from alcohol. Well, I don't struggle with alcohol. I could, I could go on all day about how you should you know, abstain from this thing or that thing. And, and every, every preacher's got their pet thing, right? They want to they just rail against. And, and, uh, uh, but what about when the things that hit closer to home with us? You know, very rarely do you hear preachers preaching as gluttony, by the way. When Paul introduces this, he, 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 he comes at it from a way that this church, who is filled with saved people, they struggle with it. The carnality that he introduced was, uh, uh, was carnality that they thought, now here's the interesting thing, it's carnality that they thought was spirituality. Well, I am of Paul. They thought that was a spiritual thing to say, I'm, I'm, I'm with him. I'm of Apollos. They, the, the, the things that they were bragging about, and let me just say, if you thought the consensus was uh, something that I was proud of was sin, you're probably not going to brag with everybody about it. But the fact that they were kind of bragging about it, and the fact that they were kind of Saying, well, look at me over here with my gifts. Look at me over here with my abilities. Look at me. I'm with this guy, and I'm with that guy, and I'm more spiritual because I was baptized by this guy. And, and, uh, and they're actually bragging about it. You know, it's one of those things, you know, some places you, you, you're kind of scared to say, hey, let's have a testimony time because people get up in almost like a competition to see who was a worse sinner before they got saved. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, look what I did, and look what I did, and oh, whoa, you think that's spiritual? <laughs> It'll be bragging on these things? I don't know. Uh, by the way, a testimony should be more focusing on what God has done, not what you had done. Look what God's brought me from. Look where God has taken me. Pray, praise the Lord for his goodness. Look what he's done. See, they thought by segmenting into groups like Paul, like Apollos, like Cephas, like Christ, they thought they were being spiritual by dividing. We have this group over here and this group over here, and, and now, now we're spiritually divided. They thought that it said something about um, something to them about their identity, identifying the most famous Bible teacher. While they didn't, um, um, well, they didn't realize that they were, they, they, what they were celebrating was not spiritual. They were exposing their carnality. Here they are bragging. You know, Paul were to come along and be like, Paul, check this out. We got the whole church broken down. Here's your group over here. These are the people of Paul. And over there, those are the people of Apollos. And he, those ones back there, yeah, they're, they're too spiritual for everybody. Those people are of Christ. But look at what we've done. Isn't this cool? Isn't this neat? And Paul's like, you guys are a bunch of knuckleheads. <laughs> Is Christ's body divided? No, no, this, this is not how it's supposed to be. And, and they're actually, uh, uh, and so, so as we look at this, as he says, there's envying, there's strife, there's divisions. What is envy? 
So many times when we list sins of the day, we typically talk about the symptoms rather than the root. Many times these things are just symptoms that are happening. And so envy here, uh, the word is, it comes from the, the Greek word zealos. Does that sound like any other word we might use? Zeal, zealous, right? Zeal. You know, zeal can either be a good thing or a bad thing. It depends on what you're zealous about. Zealous is used negatively in Scripture and positively in Scripture. It's the same word. Um, remember when Jesus went to Jerusalem and the money changers, right? And he turned over the tables and everything. And my house should be called the house of prayer. He made it into the den of thieves. And he fashioned a whip and he's driving them out. And, uh, and they quoted after that Psalm 69 where it says, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Jesus was envious for God's glory. You mean envy can have a good connotation? He was envious for God's glory. He was, he was zealous for God. In Acts 15 and Acts 13, the Jews, they were moved with envy against Paul and Barnabas. They thought somehow their message was attacking the Jewish religion, and, and they, they, they wanted their control over the system. They, they liked how they had things set up, how things were going. And so what happened? They were, they were moved with envy. Remember Pilate, when they took Jesus, they said, crucify him, crucify him. And Paul said, he knew for envy they sought to kill him. He could tell there was, he, he, was, he was messing up their program. He was threatening their power. There was an envy there. It was, a, it was a zealousness about it. So what ended up happening is these religious leaders, they were more zealous about their religion than they were about God. They were more zealous about their, their, uh, uh, their power and the system than they were about God himself. Here's where it's used neg- negatively in this, in this passage. What were these people envious of? Or what were they zealous for? What was the seed of that? The seed of it was man worship. Well, I'm of this person. And I'm of this person. And, and, and really, uh, the end result, because we put this person up on a pedestal, and if I'm identifying with him, what's it really about? It's about look at me. Because I'm in this camp. Look at me. By the way, we struggle with this. This is stuff that happens uh, uh, all around us. Uh, it's so funny, I talk to different people and, and uh, different Bible colleges will do this with each other. Well, unless you're a part of our group. And I know, I know churches that will only support missionaries that went to a certain Bible college. I'm like, what? Are you not carnal and walk as men? You know? And uh, well, you know, well, let me tell you my testimony. So-and-so led me to Christ and baptized me. Wow. And all of a sudden, it's about that name that you just dropped rather than the Christ who saved you, right? <laughs> My testimony has nothing to do. That person, we'll look, I don't want to get ahead. We'll look at it next week. But who is this person? And the conclusion is nobody. No, no, no. Dr. So-and-so. The reverend so-and-so. No, no. Nobody. Who is he? He's a servant of Jesus Christ. That's who he is. But we fall into this. It becomes, it's man worship is what it is. The problem um, uh, was, and really it wasn't so much man worship, it really was, was self-worship. Self-worship, because I am identifying with this, this is who I am. They were finding their identity of, look at me, I, I, I'm a sought-after teacher, I'm, I'm in the cool crowd, I'm, I'm better than them because they're only identifying with this person and very condescending, it's very self-promoting. Remember what we talked about, the, the, the Corinth that was around them. It was a self-promoting society. 
It was about bettering. It was about uh, uh, one-upping the person next to you. It was about competition. It was about these things. And so what were they doing? I'm better than. They were condescending. They were self-promoting. They were zealous for their own glory. They were zealous to be on top. They compared themselves among themselves. And this is the very book where Paul says, they that number themselves and compare themselves among themselves is not wise. That's what they were doing. And if that doesn't describe many churches today, sadly, sadly, you know, I've, I've talked with folks you know, who follow certain well-known Bible teachers uh, and, uh, and, and they, you know, well, that's my pastor. And so I have a greater understanding on the scriptures than you do. And, well, are we not carnal? Let's get back to the basics. We look around and we think, well, at least I don't do this, and I do this, what are we doing? Self-promoting. Look at how spiritual I am. Can I show you the list of all the things that I don't do? Look how spiritual I am. And let me show you all the things over here that I do. Look how spiritual I am. And, and, and we have all these check boxes that say, if I do this, this, and I don't do this, and this, then I, I'm spiritual. And you all should look up to me because look at how spiritual I am. Are we not carnal and walk as men? That's in all of us, by the way. That tendency is in all of us. <clears throat> Their carnality was the zealousness for themselves. They were, they were not identifying with Christ's humility. Christ was known for his humility. There's, Jesus was meek and lowly. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No other friend so meek and lowly. They, they definitely weren't identifying with the cross. Remember, we talked about the cross. That was, that was a sign of weakness. And Paul talks about the power of the cross. No, the cross was weak. The cross was going to kill somebody. A cross was, was vile, not strong. They wanted to do, here's what they wanted to do. They wanted to Corinthize Christianity. They wanted the world around them to be blended with, the, with Christ in them. And now we have a socially acceptable Christianity. They follow the patterns. They follow in all the same stuff. But we do it today, right? If I were to say, hey, name a famous preacher, right? We'll just, we'll, we'll, we'll have one roll off our tongue, right? We have all these, all these well-known, and, 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 and that's not to say that just because you're well-known, you're evil. Paul was well-known. But the idea is we identify with that. We say, oh, you know, I remember knocking on someone's door one time and telling them about the Lord, and, and, uh, and he said, oh, well, Joel Osteen's my, my pastor, and I, I watch services on TV. And I said, oh, that's interesting. Does he visit you when you're in the hospital? Does he know, does he know your name? Well, you know, we're dropping names. This is what they made. They made the church here like a little Corinth. We see envy. Uh, what, what, what does this kind of zeal for self produce? What does this kind of pride produce? The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 10, only by pride cometh contention. What, what's the next step? The logical next step is going to be contentions or strife. When we are full of self, when we have that kind of pride, it leads to contention. And, uh, and this is what pride, pride does. It repels people. So pride leads to contentions, leads to repulsion, repelling pushing people away. That's exactly what we see. Envy, strife, divisions. So we have strife. Envy produces strife. In James 3, verse 13 and 14, who's a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? 
Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife, see how they go together? In your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. In other words, it's carnal. It's like the old man. And by the way, why would James have to say, glory not in this? Because like the church of Corinth, they were actually glorying in this. They were proud about it. And so he says this, uh, it, comes, it, it doesn't come up. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, of good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Definitely all those things were lacking in this church. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace to them that love peace. And then it continues. The, the, the thought does not end there. The next chapter in James, chapter 4, it says, From whence cometh wars and fighting among you? Come they not hence out of your lusts, your desires, that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have. What is this? This is envy. This is these desires. Uh, and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war. Ye have not. Because ye ask not. He says, here's where those divisions lead to. What's behind the wars? What's behind the divisions? What's behind these conflicts? So back in our text. Paul asked this question twice. Well, Uh, in fact, in, in, in Romans 1, as well as in Galatians 5, there's, this, there's, a, there's a list of sins. And, uh, and it talks about, what are they? It talks about envying, murder. In Galatians 5, envy, murder. It's amazing how they lead to that, right? Well, that's what James talks about. There's divisions and wars, and so it, it's envy leads to murder. Joseph's brothers envied, then attempted to murder Joseph. Right? One brother stood up, now let's not kill him, let's just sell him. Right? But that's what envy was leading to. I want to get rid of anyone who does not approve of me. That's really what envy does. When I'm zealous for my own self-promotion, my own self-approval, I want to get rid of anybody that's in the way. It doesn't fit right. It doesn't feel right. Envy produces strife. Envy produces divisions. I want a person that agrees with me. And the only way off this horrible roller coaster is get off the stop call, at the stop called humility. I'm tired of these ups and downs and, divide and divisions and strife. And so, so, so it comes back to humility. For them to answer this question, are you not carnal, they were going to have to greatly humble themselves. Who am I? I'm not all that. Jesus is. He didn't save me to sing my own praises. He saved me to live a life to his glory. Coming back to humility. What is my purpose? Why am I here? What's this all about? And what you find in the rest of chapter 3 is Paul saying, it's not about me. Church, I want you to understand this. It's not about me. Paul is telling this church, you guys are bragging about me. It's not about me. Quit identifying with me because it's not about me. In fact, I am nothing. I am nobody. It's not about me. So stop it. <laughs> it's about Christ. It's about his body. He says, you have the opportunity to be humble and used of him. So here's the takeaway. Identify yourself. Look, look, look at yourself. How, am, I, am I falling prey to some of these things? What is the carnal nature that I'm falling into that, that, that leads to, to envy, zealousness, a zeal, a negative zeal, which leads to strife, only by pride cometh contention, which leads to divisions, pushing people away, repelling uh, as a result. Because, because, you know, this isn't going right over here, so I'm, gonna do, I'm just going to push them away. Well, what does the Bible say? He's given to us the ministry of what? Reconciliation coming back together. 
First of all, we have the great privilege of, of the ministry of reconciling people to God. But of all the people on this planet, Christians should be the best at reconciling people to each other. In fact, that's what Paul says in chapter 6. He's going to go on talking about brothers suing brother and taking them to the law and so forth. And he says, the least esteemed among you should be able to bring this issue together. To make some judgments. Why? So we can come back together. The heart, the true heart, chapter 5, of church discipline is bringing things together. Setting aside sin, repenting, and bringing it back together. We should be expert reconcilers. By the way, I'm so excited about this, this, whole, this whole book study because there's so many things. It's just right where we're at as believers and as a church and how the church ought to function. But it's starting with really the most messed up church to look at as an example and say, wow, look at they messed up. Guys, let's not do that. Oh, they're messed up here. Guys, let's try to stay away from this. Let these be warning signs to us. All right? I'm not preaching this because I think we're messed up, but maybe humility would suggest, you know, maybe we should consider we might be messed up in some areas. But rather, we look at it and say, oh, these are the signs. These are the warning signs. Let's be careful. Is there envy? Is there strife? Is there divisions? What's going on? That is carnality. That is me as a safe person acting just like North Pole acting just like Fairbanks, acting just like what I see on TV, acting like the world around me, and saying, and, 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 and then bragging about it. You think you're super spiritual because, you know, I'm never talking to that guy again. You think that's spiritual? Are you a natural man this morning? Do you know Christ is your personal Savior? Have you been saved? Has he died for your sins and you are confident that you have been counted uh, in that transaction? God saves me, and I know it. What a wonderful place to be. Maybe he's tugging at your heart today. You say, you know, truth be told, I do not know if I'm saved. I do not know that I stand right before a holy and just God. But I'd like to know that. You know, the Bible talks about how our sins have made us enmity with God. It's pulled us. It's divided us. Because God is so holy and God is so just, he can't be in the presence of sin. In fact, it even says in Revelation, even liars will have their place in the lake of fire. Something we take very lightly. Just, just, oh, it's just simple lies. It's not like I killed somebody. It puts liars and murderers right next to each other. Either Christ has washed away all of your sins or you are still in your sins, but you don't have to be. God can save you today. I'd love nothing more than to show you how you can be saved today. If, uh, if that's hanging over your, your, your soul and you're uh, being bothered by that, uh, don't ignore the tugging of the Holy Spirit of God if he's saying, today you need to be saved. The next question is, are you spiritual? I'm not perfect, but I desire to serve God. Spiritual man. I seek God. I seek him in his word. I want to love. I want to help people. I want to steward my resources for his purpose. I, I want to I be a spiritual man. Or maybe you'd save, say, you know, I know that I'm saved. But, you know, I'm pretty petty. I'm pretty petty about things. I'm proud, I'm fickle, I'm carnal. You know, I'm not judging you this morning, it's not my job, but I'm asking you to be honest with yourself. Let the Holy Spirit of God examine you. What is my need today? Where do I line up with that? I hope everyone in here has the desire to be, uh, to be spiritual. God, I want to submit. I want your best in my life. I want the glory of God to permeate from me. Why don't we just take a few moments? In fact, why don't we stand to our feet, if you would,